0: As I was looking at at Matt, who just came back from a youth ministry and a couple of our elders, some of you have asked me, why am I wearing a tie today? And uh, Basically, it's because I'm overcompensating. Uh, Yesterday, I was at a wedding and... um I was going to say I was underdressed, but you might be thinking I didn't have enough clothes on. I, I had enough clothes on, but what happened is I, I, I didn't get the memo that it was a little bit more upscale than I, how I came. And it's amazing when your kids think, who always dress casually, that, Dad, you dress too casually at this particular event. So when you see the tie, it's just my penitence for uh, you know not quite uh, getting it right uh, last evening. But this this morning, I just want to share with you, there is so much I want to share with you, and I often say that. I usually pray on Comedian Sunday that I will get a shorter message, but usually I get a longer sermon. So I'll talk really fast so you can listen really quickly, and we'll see what God has for us this morning. So let's look at the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can just affirm Matt's call to the ministry. We thank you that we can... Uh, Look ahead to what you are doing uh, in the ministry with men and Stephen's ministry. We thank you for just the privilege to lift up our holy hands, which is just symbolic of realizing that you are the holy one, and we want to be holy before you, which means simply to be set apart. We don't want to be just like everybody else. Not that we think we're better than anybody else, but we want to recognize that you have called us into relationship with you, and now you want to use us to touch other people's lives. And Father, I know we've all been um, through a a week uh, filled with all kinds of different experiences and challenges. And we're heading toward another week with maybe some concerns or needs. But Father, we pray during this time together that you might allow us to focus on you. And we might think about your truth. We might learn of you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Luke chapter 9, but really what you can do is just look at the outline. Because what I've done this morning, and this is a little bit different than we've uh, done, uh, and maybe throughout the whole series, it's possible one other time I did this, but I, I'm really giving you this morning uh, kind of a harmony of the Gospels. That's what some people describe if you're going to look at a particular account in the life of Jesus. Uh, and want to see it not just from one particular author, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, but if you want to see it from all four, then let's let's put them together. And, and we're going to try to do that this morning. And I have the text before you. But I want to kind of give you uh, the, the real simple uh, emphasis this morning, and that's, uh, I want to talk to you about the truth. And obviously whenever we get God's word, it's the truth. Uh, but even Jesus at times would try to emphasize, he's going to tell you something too good to be true, so he prefaces by saying, truly. And when you really believes, you're going to have a hard time believing it's true. He says, truly, truly. Well, well, Luke, when he wrote his gospel, and we've said this just about every time as we open up God's word in the gospel of Luke, is he wrote this for the express purpose of giving us the truth. He, he wants us to understand, I'm not, I'm not giving you my thoughts, random um, musings over the life of Jesus. I, I'm giving you a very detailed account, specific account, that is giving you the truth about this man, Jesus, who we believe is not only a man, but he was fully God as well. And this morning, what I want to talk about is the truth about meeting needs. And, and sometimes you think about meeting needs, you're thinking, well, I can only meet needs if I've been highly trained, had all kinds of experience, and I've, I've been prepped for a long period of time. A few weeks ago, I was, I was reading, I think it was in Yahoo News, and it was about a man named David Knowles. And David Knowles was a retired, or is a retired, registered nurse. And one of the things he enjoyed doing was helping people be equipped to help people meet needs. And as a registered nurse and one who had been fully trained, he would go around to churches and give them some CPR first aid training. So after a service, he gathered the people who were interested in, in learning how to help people in that particular need, if they have a heart condition or they have something that needs to be attended to. Um, he began the orientation and the training, and all of a sudden, he, he, he about a third of the way through, he slumped to the ground. And as he was falling to the ground, he, he cried out, and said, this, this, is not a, this is not a test. This is a, this is a real experience. And in the midst of training people to handle someone who might have a heart attack, he was having a heart attack. Now, can you imagine being that? I mean, maybe if you've never had any CPR training or first aid training, all of a sudden you're thinking, well, maybe I might possibly be in a situation where I might have to apply this. But right during the class, they had to apply the little knowledge they had to bring him back to life. And they had very little training, zero experience, and all of a sudden they had to be all hands on deck. Now, I want to submit to you that when we think about the Christian life, we often think, well, you know, I might write some things in a notebook. I might think a little bit about what the preacher is talking about this morning. And I was looking at Kim, she was yawning before the service started. I said, Kim, you better not be yawning when I'm preaching, all right? Uh, You know, sometimes we're more focused in than other times. Uh, But if if you knew when you left this place the specific things I was going to talk to you about, and more importantly, that God was going to talk to you about, you were going to have to do them today, you might be just a little bit more attentive. Would you agree? Well, well, Jesus was the master of of teaching people what life was all about. And he would use experiences of life to, to further the training of his 12 and then the multitudes that would follow him and this morning we're going to look at that. And what I want to do this morning is I want to I want to take the four accounts of the of this particular miracle and if you're in a trivia at all and every time I've you know unless it was on sports unless it any other trivial type of contest I always lose but but it, and I hate to put the word trivia to the Bible here but if if you were to ask be asked what is the only miracle other than the resurrection that's repeated in all four gospels It's the feeding of the 5,000. And you think of all the miracles Jesus did. I mean, he raised people from the dead. I mean, I think I'd talk about that four times. But he talked about this, or he had it recorded, inspired his authors of his life to record it in each one of their accounts. So just because of that, it's got to be pretty important. And and if I were to summarize the main pitch from Jesus to us this morning is that, that we ought to be prepared to meet needs. Even when even we're, not, we're not feeling prepared or ready or, or trained enough or we've never experienced before, we need to be ready at any moment to do whatever God wants us to do. So what I want to do is I want to give you a running commentary of all four accounts, and then I just want to make a few uh, things uh, to, to, to take home to think about. Here are some specific implications of the text for us this day. Well, let's, let's look at the account. The feeding of the 5,000, I recorded the specific places in the four Gospels that are there. But if you put them together, uh, this, is, this is what you come out with. And the apostles, when they, had their re- when they had returned, gathered to Jesus and told him all they had done and what they had taught. Now, just a little background here. They had returned. So what did they return from? And if you're familiar with the account right before that, uh, Jesus had, and this is, a, this is, a, this is a, some called one of the epic moments in the life of Jesus because it's about halfway through his ministry. He's now going to be going toward the cross. He's going to be leaving Galilee and basically going into Judea and, and Jerusalem. And the particular point of there, he, he's going to the place where he is going to give his life that he has been telling them about. And, and what had happened right before he sent them out, he, he was doing everything. And, and sometimes maybe you're in an experience where you feel like you're doing everything and everybody's just watching you do everything. Uh, and, and that didn't depress Jesus, but he realized what he needed to do was prepare them to now do what he did. And so he had sent them out, and I'm sure they didn't feel too prepared or over-prepared, and he gave them two things to do. Number one, I want you to teach about the kingdom of God. Now, I, I don't want to make that too over-spiritual religious. Basically, we say, I want you to get the message out about the king and and I'm the king, and, and the message of the king is that you need to become his subjects. You, you need to follow him. You need to know him. You need to turn from your old life and turn to, turn to him. And, and this is not just an option of life. You desperately need this. You're drowning in your own sin. You're drowning in your own selfishness. And, and this, is, this is life, and not only life and death, this is life and eternity. So he sends them out proclaiming the kingdom. And, and just like sometimes when we, when we think about people hearing things from us, that they might respond back, well, who are you to say this to me? He was going to give them some miraculous things to do so that would give authority to their message. And so he gave them the power to heal. And, and so they came, at, they came out probably fearful, and they came back probably overconfident. They were just amazed at what had happened. And it said, uh, they told Jesus, uh, all they had done and, and and what they had taught now in some ways that's kind of humorous to me you know, you know jesus kind of knew all things didn't he <laughs> he only knew what they had done he already knew what they had what they had taught and, and i don't want to imply too much in this text here but I, I want us all to understand for them and for us whatever they had taught they had, had they had been taught isn't that true and, and whenever we give out the message it's not our message it's it's god's message. And whenever you look at pastors, and then let me just speak into Matt. You know, you're thinking of Matt in his ministry. Really what, what Matt is, he's simply a messenger boy. And so am I. We don't create the message. We just get it out. So he, they're excited, and, and then um, some life happens. And after these things, Jesus said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. They had, as, as some authors say, they had been peopled to death. I mean, they had just been surrounded by everybody. And you're going to see this in the next couple statements. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they had come back with being involved in people's needs. And, and then as they were reporting to Jesus what had happened, people were still coming. <laughs> many were coming. They were coming, they were getting help, and they were going. Then as soon as you helped somebody else, somebody else would come in line. And, and, and Jesus, we, we got to go away. And you need some rest. Somebody, I, there's so many idle thoughts I, I'd like to share. Someone has asked me about fasting. So you know, I haven't done a whole lot of fasting in my life. Should I be fasting? Well, that's between you and God. But but you know, when really fasting happens, when you're so busy doing the things of the Lord, or you're so busy praying, you don't have time to do anything else. And that's what was happening here. It wasn't that they weren't hungry is that they, they were so involved in people's lives they didn't have time to stop to do something that's normal because they were involved in people's lives. Now, that shouldn't happen 24-7 because there needs to be a time where we get, a, get away. And so Jesus sovereignly tells them that. So they departed over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, in a boat by themselves to a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So Jesus, let, let's get away and we're gonna we're gonna get a, we're gonna take a boat trip, gonna go on the Sea of Galilee, and we're gonna traverse a, across the lake for a little ways. And it was about a four mil, four mile sail, and we're gonna go to a, a place where there isn't a whole lot of people and and we're gonna re-re-energize. <laughs> but something happened. And isn't that true about life? You get all kinds of plans, then something happens. Can anybody anybody Any agree with that? I mean, do things happen when you're not planning them for them to happen? Now, it wasn't surprising to Jesus, but it was going to be surprising to the disciples. But the multitude saw them departing and followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. I mean, Jesus had no trouble drawing a crowd. Why? Because when you're around Jesus and there were needs around him, they were met. Dramatically and miraculously so when jesus took off there was only one question in your mind where is he going and how can i get there and how can i get there quickly and it's interesting it goes on and says this many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities now listen to this they arrived before him so they look at the direction of where that they were sailing and they they didn't have a boat near them so they began to run now, this was one of the first cross-country races, I guess, recorded in all of history. But they, they began to run. And, and, and as you know, with anybody who runs, there's some people who run fast and some people who run what? Slow. Slow. Well, the fast ones got there. Interesting enough, before Jesus. Now, now, I've had a little bit of experience of that with my son who's a cross-country. was Well, I can put him in the past tense. He was a cross-country. He's not doing that anymore. But, you know, sometimes I, I would try to help him work out. You might laugh at that. But anyway, I was helping. But I'd get on a bike and he would run. Now, depending if the, if the ground was level, you know, I could keep up with him. And particularly, I could keep up with him if it was going downhill, all right? But it was interesting, on certain terrain, no matter how hard I pedal, I couldn't keep up with him. And what's interesting here is it was four miles across the Sea of Tiberias. It was eight miles by foot. And some of them still beat him. They were motivated to be with Jesus. Why? Because he was the person who met needs. I wonder, if, I wonder if that's somewhat in, in our legacy. Are, are we known as people that when, when people around us, we, we are the people who, if we can, we're there quick to meet needs. And Jesus, when he came out, went up the mountain, and, and there he saw the disciples. So there were a few quick people who got there, and it probably wasn't an overwhelming number. And so they got up to the mountain. They, they began to have some of the rest, and then something happened again. Now, the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great multitude coming toward him. Now, they define people's personalities in a, couple of different, a number of different ways. Sometimes they, they define people's personalities as introvertish and extrovertish. We're all familiar with those terms? Yeah. And whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, and there's, a, there's much we could say about that, but in many ways, when people come, you get energized by that or you get depressed by that. I want to get away. And there are times to get away, and Jesus did that. But fundamentally, when he saw people, he was moved to go to them rather than away from them. And we find out why that is so, because it goes on and then it says... Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, saw the great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them. In time for many, we'll we'll talk about that, what what that really means. Because they were sheep not having a shepherd. Now, we, we don't think in those type of terms too often, but basically said, here are people who are running around, but they don't know where they're going and where they've been and what's really important, what's not important. Above all else, they need direction. And he received them and began to teach them many things about the kingdom of God. And we talked about this last week. The most critical need for people is to hear the message of why Jesus came. Now, it adds later what he did. He was healing many kinds of diseases, but he preached to them many things about the kingdom of God. Now, now Jesus w- was so profound he he knew how to preach or teach short messages but he also knew how to teach long messages they they got there probably early in the morning and he began to teach them many things about what it meant to to know him and to follow him and part of that we kind of picked the, uh, uh, that up with the next phrase when when the day was now far spent they had been there a long time and, and it was evening it was starting, that sun was beginning to set, it was going to be obvious that it was going to be dark soon, and there's not a whole lot of street lamps out in the desolate places. They were going to have to somehow leave pretty quickly. Uh, this is a deserted place. The disciples came to Jesus and said, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread and lodge and kit provisions, for they have nothing to eat. And basically what I'm trying to at least give by way of example, when you, when you read text, and I'm just giving you a running commentary of the text, it's kind of just think through it and kind of visualize the experiences that they're having and just look at the specific words and kind of what's going on here. One thing you can see going on here is they've switched roles with Jesus, haven't they? When they've been following Jesus, who is predominantly giving the instructions or always giving the instructions? It's it's Jesus. It's all right to say Jesus in church. It's who? Jesus. It's Jesus. All right. Well, Jesus gave the instructions, and now all of a sudden, you know, they, they've been out there. You know, they've done what Jesus empowered them to do and had taught them to do, and, and now they're coming back, and they, they've been meeting needs. Uh, Jesus has been teaching them and healing uh, those who had diseases, authenticating his message. And they all say, oh, hey, well, by the way, Jesus, uh, in case you haven't noticed, it's getting dark. D- did Jesus miss that? Okay, these people haven't eaten. Did did Jesus miss that? Oh, by the way, Jesus, since you haven't been aware, this is what you need to do. So instead of seeing their need to respond to what he wanted them to do, they thought they ought to tell Jesus what to do. Now, we never do that, right? In our prayer life, we're never telling God what to do. I've done that more times than I would like to admit And so instead of responding to Jesus' instructions, they they were telling Jesus what to do. But Jesus answered and said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, he had just empowered them to do the miraculous. They had come back. They were so excited. They were telling him all that they had done, right? They said, well, this this, this hasn't ended yet. You be involved in meeting needs. And the you is in the emphatic position in the original language. You have got to do this. You, you, you can do this. You do it. And then he says to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? So he said, you, you, you haven't seen a solution here, even though I've already empowered you to do the miraculous. Well, all right, let's, if you can't think in miraculous terms, let's think in just natural terms. Do um, you have enough money to buy all the food for them? Now let's just be clear here. Whenever Jesus asks a question, he's not really looking for information, right? He, he always asks a question he already knows what the answer is. He knows what the response is. But but he said that. But he said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Well, Philip answered him. Shall, shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He asked that question, and he. <laughs> In, in, case Jesus, there was, in Philip's question, I, I, I'm, in, I'm convinced. He was, he was saying, okay, Jesus, you're, you're still not getting it. You just told me to go buy food. and I, I'll pose it in a question to be a little bit humble about this. But in case you don't know the answer, I'll give you the answer. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That every one of them will have even a little. Jesus, we don't, we don't have the resources to, to meet this need. But he said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Okay, if we don't have enough money to to feed them, maybe maybe there's enough out there in people's lunch bag that we could just divide it. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, well, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, (laughs) but what are they among so many? Uh, when I, was, when I first read that, when I think about loaves, of, you know, I was thinking these big French rolls, you know, those ones that are about like three feet long or five feet long, whatever. These weren't big loaves of bread. Some uh, writers said they were basically crackers or little biscuits, five biscuits. And then when I was thinking about fish, I'm thinking about the fish that, that um, Hank gives me when he goes to the pier and brings back these gigantic things that fill my freezers. Okay. Well, we're not talking about big fish here. We're talking about like sardines. Okay, we got five crackers, five biscuits, and two sardines. Well, Jesus, you're not getting this. For, for there are about five thousand men, Jesus. In case you haven't counted here, this potluck isn't there. Isn't a whole lot of luck in this this pot, right? And then he said, "Okay, then bring them." here to me. Then Jesus said to the disciples, make the people sit down in groups of 50. Of course, we see God is always a God of order. He says, okay, we're going to make this happen. And when I, when I do some things that are going to build your faith, you're going to see, and, but we're not just going to do the miraculous to show that I can do the miraculous. We're going to really meet needs here. So let's, let's get this thing organized. And they did so and made them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in the ranks in hundreds and in fifties, so there was much grass in the place. So where these 5,000 men were, it was a large place for the, this long sermon that he had been giving them, teaching about the many things in the kingdom of God. And, and as you all know, or at least probably many of you heard before, is that if there were 5,000 men, there was probably also who, what other gender around? Women, right? And, and if there were men and women, it's quite possible there might have been some what other people around? You know, Children. And Depending on how you want to do the numbers, it could have been anywhere between some low estimates. There were 10,000. Some higher estimates it at least 20,000. It could have been more. It was, a, it was a mass of people. And you got five crackers and two little fish. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven. And when he had given thanks, he broke the loaves. I, I was reading this past week uh, a traditional... Mishnah Jewish blessing was, Blessed be you, O Lord, our God, King of the world, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. And there would have been a chorus of 20,000, Amen, you know, let's, let's eat. And they're thinking, How are we going to eat though? He just gave thanks. But how, how are we going to eat? So what happened? So when they were filled, he said, to, uh, uh, and then he took the five loaves and the two fish. He had given thanks. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave to those sitting down. And the two fish he divided among them all, so they all ate as much as they wanted and were filled. So all of a sudden, Jesus, who they saw as a great miracle worker, could raise people from the dead, and now they saw him as the creator. He took five biscuits and multiplied them to feed possibly twenty thousand people. He took two little sardines and multiplied them to feed twenty thousand people. this wasn 't just a miracle worker this is this is Genesis recreated in terms of life of multiplying food for everybody here Now it was interesting when you 're hungry you might not do it in public but if you're really hungry, who do you want to eat first? You. But he told the disciples, okay, take this and spread it out. And they're thinking, when do we get to eat? So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, interesting, it says they were filled. In other translations, they were fully satisfied. The, the, the word there, interesting enough, is, is the same word they use when, when you try to fatten up pigs, and they gorge themselves. Pigs, I guess, you, they'll eat as much as you give in front of them. But You want them as fat as they can be. And this is the word that's used here. They were so filled, they could not eat anymore. This was Thanksgiving tripled, you know. I mean, this was, they were eating beyond measure. And it's quite possible they had never seen so much food in front of them. Uh, therefore, uh, uh, it says, and they were filled, said to the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, and, and that they and so that nothing is lost. And they probably think, well, I wonder how much is going to be left over for us. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets full with the fragments of the five barley stones, which were left over by those who had eaten. One just for each one of the disciples. 12 baskets. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this truly is the prophet who's coming to the world. And think Our problems are over. This is, this is the welfare state you know, of the dream. Every physical need we have is going to be met. I mean, it's going to be free lunches for every, for every day. Let's make, let's make him the king. And therefore, when Jesus received they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, immediately he made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. So after he met their physical need, their felt need, he realized they had missed their real need. But because he had been moved with compassion, he did whatever he could to to grab their hearts and say, I care about you. I love you. But realize I didn't come here just to give a free lunch. Because I can extend your life here for a period of time, but... What about eternity? So in five minutes, let me just give you a few things to take home with you. What's the truth about meeting needs? And how is it done? And so, well, if I could do the miraculous, I could could easily do anything I wanted at any moment, just pray a prayer and God would perform a miracle. I don't think that's the point here. but I would say this is some things that we can take home. How how is it done? Number one, it it is sometimes done when you're tired and you feel you don't have the time to help. See, Jesus was taken away because they had been people to death. They had been ministering. They they, they were overwhelmed by the people around them. And so he, he took them away briefly. But when people came, even though they were tired, and felt like they didn't have time to care. They could reach out and meet needs. Now, l- let me just say this simply. We can't individually, even corporately as a church, meet every need in the world today. There are, there are just... We could, we, could, we could list every kind of issue in our world, whether it be sex trafficking whether it be extreme poverty in, in certain parts of the world or even within close confines of where we live. And, and, and we do what we can, what we feel God has led us to do. This week I'm encouraging you to pray for the Niles and the Congo, and, and they shared that they, the majority of their people in, in their world live in, on less than a dollar a day or two dollars a day. Um, at Hector's wedding this last last Saturday I guess yesterday was last Saturday Or um, his new wife uh, Kelly is working with a group that is working in the Philippines and the children there many of the areas in in the Philippines that children are existing on 59 cents a day We, we, we can't meet every need we can be a part of meeting needs but the issue is are we meeting the needs that we can meet that God is leading us corporately or individually to meet that's the question. In fact, I want to pose this to you. When you're tired and you feel like you don't have any time and energy left, which question is the best when you really have that gnawing sense that God wants you to do something? Is it, do I want to do this? I just, I just don't feel like doing this. Is that, is that a great question? You decide what you're going to do by how you feel? Or how about this? Can I do this? I don't have enough training. I don't have enough ability. I've I just started the, UPR, the CPR class. I, I can't help someone who's got a heart attack right now. Or, or maybe the last question, should I do this? Now, that's going to be different for everybody, but the question whenever we make choices to do whatever we do is you, you throw up a prayer to God and say, God, is this what you want me to do? But I don't feel capable. But if you want me to do this, you'll give me the ability to do whatever you want me to do. Well, I don't feel like doing it. It's not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of knowing that God wants you to do it. Secondly, whatever we do, it, it, should, it, should, be, it should be motivated, not, not out of a sense that, of just even duty, but it ought to be moved by compassion. You really care. The word compassion is from a word, splankta, which has the idea of, of, of not just having your heart beat a little bit faster, but you, you're hurt on the inside in the gut, because you really see this is a real need that God wants you to meet. And and, and it can be as simple as spending time with a person who who doesn't have friends. It's it's using your car to take people to a doctor's appointment. It could be volunteering to play the kazoo up here on the worship team. I was going to volunteer that for Mark, but I'm not really sure he wants me to play that, but it, it, it could be, I, I'm willing to work in the children's ministry. I, I'm willing to, to reach out to my neighbor, whatever it might be. But, but you do it because God is moving your heart. Thirdly, we must always keep the greatest need in mind. As we help people, the greatest help we can do is help them follow Jesus Christ. Be, because that need will last forever. Would we agree with that? Fourthly, it happens when we give and do what we can, believing God is always able to do what needs to be done. Basically, when you get through some of the things that he was testing with, he said, okay, just give me what you got. What, what, what did they have? Five, five crackers and two sardines. You, you give me what you got, and I'll do the rest. Philippians 419 is a great passage, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So whatever we need to do what God wants us to do, he'll give us that ability to do what what we're called to do. And then finally, it is to result in Jesus getting the credit, or the glory, if you want to use a biblical term, and people knowing who Jesus is. When Jesus did the miraculous, feeding the 5,000, the only miracle that's repeated in every four gospels... They saw him as the creator. In John chapter 20, it says there were many disciples that been, there were many, there were many signs that were done in the presence of the disciples, and not all of them were written down. But we have that which are recorded for us so that people might believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God. That's why we do what we do, not, not to bring attention to ourselves but to Jesus, and helping people see who Jesus really is. So what's the so what? Are we meeting needs? And it's, it's not to identify what needs we are individually or corporately to, to meet today, but it's just, are we willing to say, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it? Because you're able to do the Miraculous. And the greatest miracle happens when a life is touched by the love and compassion of Jesus through his people. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that we might just understand that we can meet needs because you've met our need. And if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you, I, I, I just pray that we might, might realize that being a Christ follower is it's simple, but it's not easy. It's coming to that point where we admit our need and turn from our sin, the things that are wrong in our life, and turn to the one who can, who can forgive us of our sin. It's believing that Jesus did die on the Christ cross and rise again from the, from the grave, and he is who he to be. And then it's making a choice and a commitment to follow Jesus Christ as the leader and forgiver of our life. And Father, when we do that, then we become a child of yours. Not just someone who knows about you, but we become a child when we admit and believe and commit to you. Father, we pray as we, in a moment, take communion that you might just cause us to focus on what it's all about. In Jesus' name, amen. And once again, as we have the worship team lead us in, in some expression of praise of God through song.